Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to another edition of Affected by Altitude, the Purple Row podcast, the Rockies affiliate of SB Nation. I am once again your host, Skylar Timmons, and joined by my partners who weren't sent away at the trade deadline, Mac Wilcox. Yeah, no uh, no trades for me. I've actually been extended, as it turns out. I signed a 10-year extension to continue doing the podcast, so... Uh, Looking forward for uh, being a part of Affected by Altitude until 2032. But uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here together. We insisted that an opt-out get put in after this year, though. That's so. right. That's right. It is in there, though, for uh, for an opt-out after 2028. But we'll see if I end up exercising that. <laughs> and as well, Evan Lang is still here as well. Wait, they told me that I was the only one who signed an extension. <laughs> Listen, brother, 29 other podcasts didn't sign any extensions of any kind, okay? So just be happy. <laughs> that works though we strictly insisted that we stay around so exactly yeah that bit will play this podcast <laughs> can't get any better right now <laughs> but anywho's if you can't tell by our passive aggressive nature at the moment uh the trade <laughs> deadline has come and passed or come and gone i guess and the rockies are the only team that didn't do anything. And so we'll kind of unpack some of this and talk about this action and trade deadline, what the Rockies did, signing extensions, picking up guys off of waivers just recently, and then also you know, touch on a reaction of the trade deadline as a whole, what happened around the league, because aside from our beloved Rockies, there was a ton of action around the league, which is pretty exciting. Uh but unless you guys have anything else, we might just jump right into this action. So much to talk about today. Let's do it, man. 
yeah, we have jump plenty away. to talk about today. So first and foremost, let's get some of these little news things out of the way. Uh, as we are about to start recording, the Rockies announced that they have claimed right-handed pitcher Nelson Lament from the Milwaukee Brewers, who was just traded to the Brewers in exchange for Josh Hader in a package from the Padres. They've claimed him and have designated Ashton Godot for assignment. Uh, Lamette is 30 years old, right-hand pitcher. Uh, he hasn't pitched much this year, but definitely kind of fallen off after 2020, kind of taking a step back. So reclamation project, take a flyer on a guy to help you out for the rest of the year. See what you can get out of him. Any quick thoughts on this one? It's a it's a low um, you know it's a low cost move. I think obviously Ashton Godot has struggled this year. Evan had some stats from how he was doing at AAA, which is to say not very well. So I think it's something that you know it's it's like the definition of like a may as well. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't hurt um, to snag him up. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be a huge part of the bullpen in the future or the rotation or anything, but a guy that's been around for a while, a guy that's, you know, used to pitching, um, you know, around the league, uh, may as well. I No strong opinions on it either way. Yeah. Yeah, Godot was the – Godot's been a logical move to be designated for a while. Godot was the logical move for when we called up Jose Urania and we didn't make that move. Um, but in 37 innings with the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes this year, he's got an area of 1046. Uh, in the big league, in 20 innings, he's got an area of 7.08. Just, you know, has not been doing well. And, you know, it, it stinks because at the beginning of the year, it really seemed like Ashton had finally found his big league landing spot. And I guess that was not the case. But... I'm pretty sure he's going to clear waivers and end up back with the isotopes. And if, if he doesn't, then I wish him the best of luck wherever he, he does land. I don't hate picking up Denelson LeMay. Um, not great this year, but only 12.1 innings pitched with an ERA of 9.49. So there's obviously, you know, there's room for improvement there, but since he hasn't really been... You know, pitching that much, he's been injured somewhat this year, and then he was traded over to Milwaukee, where they pretty much immediately designated him for assignment. Uh, I like his pitch mix: um, slider, primary with a forcing fastball, um, and a sinker that um, all of which have have pretty similar breaking action. That slider and the the fastball specifically favoring uh, the low outside corner. Um, what's interesting about the fastball is that he can hit, you know, 96 plus on it. It averages about 95.3 miles per hour. Same with the sinker. He gets mid to high nineties. Uh, but he does just favor that slider primarily over his career. Not much of a ground ball pitcher, like moderate ground ball rates. Um, but he's been mostly a strikeout guy. Strikeouts obviously down this year here, but I think he's similar to Jose Arena, but with more upside, because we've seen Denelson LeMay be, be really good earlier in his career. In 2020, he put up an area of 2.09 in 12 starts and 69 total innings. Um, his big issue has been, been walks recently, um, especially in the last two years. So this year, 16 strikeouts to 9 walks. Last year, 57 strikeouts to 22 walks. 
um, averaging, you know, under three strikeouts per walk, which is not ideal, but again, for this year especially, he's really not pitched that much. Last year, we saw the Padres move him really into more of a bullpen role, so he only started nine games, but for the majority of his career, he's been a starter, and it's going to be interesting to see if the Rockies try and push him back into being a starter, or if they try and keep him in the bullpen. If anything, he'll most likely be kind of that swing guy, more so in a a long relief role, because that's something that they need in that bullpen, instead of trotting out Ryan Feltner or whoever else out there again. So we'll see how it pans out. It really doesn't hurt him. It does cost him about $2 million for the rest of the season or to pick up the rest of his money for the rest of the season. But, hey, what can you do? At least that's our big trade deadline win. (laughs) (laughs) That's our big acquisition this year. Uh, So best of luck to him. And good luck to Ashton Godot, and we look forward to seeing you back in a Rockies uniform when you inevitably come back to the team in the offseason. <laughs> because, like a boomerang or a rubber band, he always comes back. But, moving right along, someone who was back for a bit and is no longer here again, Chris Bryant's landed back on the injured list for the third time. This time, it's not his back, but it's his foot. Which, dude just cannot catch a break this year. And it's very unfortunate. It hurts not having Chris Bryant in the lineup. Uh, hopefully you can come back quickly from this one. But just unfortunate again, losing Chris Bryant for an extended amount of time. Yeah, and, and plantar fasciitis is really tough. It's super, super painful to run on. And especially when you're initiating that short burst, like if you're, say, playing in the outfield like Chris Bryant does or needing to get a good push-off to run the base pass. It can be really, really painful. And super unfortunate for KB because he had come back from his back injury and was looking just absolutely fantastic, and then immediately just goes right into being hurt again with a different injury. Um, The unpopular opinion for me is that it might be just a better idea to be done for the season for him. Make sure he is completely healthy and ready to go in 2023. And then we can try out some other guys and see what we've got in the outfield, like say call up Winton Bernard from AAA or something like that. Mm-hmm. But because it takes a while to recover f- fully from plantar fasciitis as well. Yeah. I wonder if it's almost not time to consider just like shutting him down for the season um, I know it's not what Rockies fans want to hear, and that's not what I want to see, obviously. I think KB is a guy that's been, you know, pretty quantifiably a positive impact to the Rockies clubhouse and lineup. But I also think that we're in year one of a long deal. He's going to be here for a while. He's going to be in purple pinstripes for the next few years. I think that there's no reason to rush it. The Rockies are, you know, 14 games under 500 as we start recording here on Friday. Like, I just think it's one of those things like his health, his long-term health has got to come first. Let him get fully healthy, figure out the back, figure out the plantar fasciitis, come back in 2023, ready to roll and play 160 games or whatever. Like, you know, I, I just think it's, it's you know, I'm not saying they have to do that right now, but I think we're quickly approaching that um, that avenue as far as his long-term health. Yeah, it's just really unfortunate. Injuries suck, and it just hurts a little more because he's your star player that you signed yes. and you want him out on the field, and he's just not doing it and I'm sure a lot of fans are having 
no flashbacks to Troy Tulowitzki. It's not to that degree, at least yet, hopefully. But hopefully he can recover soon, get back on the field, because they need him in the lineup. But. Yep. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen people making the Tulo comparisons already, and I don't think that's really fair, because in his fairly long career so far, and he's he's just now 30, KB has only really missed a substantial amount of one season. And that was in like 2018, he only played 100-something games, which is still a solid chunk of the season, and he's been extremely unlucky with injuries this year. But I think we need to wait and see how you know next year goes before we jump to the conclusions of, oh, he's fragile, oh, he's snake-bitten for injuries, oh, he's the next Troy Tulowitzki. I think that's just jumping to you know overly pessimistic conclusions. Yeah. So we'll just see what happens. Hopefully they can get him back in action, get healthy, figure out advanced cybernetics so then he can just have a robot body and never have to worry about injuries again. <laughs> Call up Winton Bernard. Yeah. DFA somebody else for that. Who knows? There's things that need to be done but aren't getting done and everything needs to figure out. It's a weird world in the Rockies baseball world. Anywho's, let's talk about their big acquisition. I guess big acquisition with air quotes around it. Their big move of the trade deadline was extending closer Daniel Bard to a two-year, $19 million contract to stick around. Bard was one of the hot commodities at the trade deadline that teams were, I believe teams were pretty in on him. He was one of the top relievers on the market. And... That's with some loose air quotes around it as well, because was he ever really available on the market? They signed him to a two-year deal, so he's sticking around to be the closer, and that's all that the Rockies did. So, thoughts here on Daniel Bard, I guess. He's having a really good season. More, one of his best seasons since being back in a Rockies uniform. Mac, what's your take here on Daniel Bard sticking with the Rockies? Yeah, I mean, I think that in a vacuum, I don't hate this move. And I think a lot of people immediately had a really negative reaction to it just because Daniel Bard, like you mentioned, was one of the hot commodities on the trade market and could potentially have gotten a you know halfway decent return back. And I get that. At the same time, the Rockies' bullpen has struggled significantly over the last few years. We know that, right? The Rockies' bullpen has consistently rated as one of the league's most um, inefficient bullpens. That's the nice way of saying that. Over the last few years, they've just really struggled with leads. They've struggled with keeping games close if they're down a run. Like, that's just been kind of the, you know, general way it's gone the last few years. And now, I would argue the Rockies have, at least right now, at least in this moment, the most effective closer they've had since... Ah, shoot. I mean... You know, Greg Holland and Wade Davis were pretty good for half a season, but Daniel Bard's been great all season. So, I don't know, maybe Manny Corpus in, like, 2007? Like, Daniel Bard just looks lights out right now. He's so locked in. He's having certainly his best season in a Rockies uniform and maybe one of his best seasons in baseball since he's been a professional player. In a vacuum, I don't hate the move because I think he provides veteran leadership to a lot of guys that are younger, especially, you know, like I said, that young pitching core that the Rockies are trying to develop in their bullpen the guys like the Gilbreths and maybe the Feltners and the Lawrences and, you know, guys like that that haven't been around the league for too terribly long. But 
I also understand why Rockies fans are frustrated by it, just because, again, like, he could have, you know, brought a haul back, and Daniel Bard is, what, uh, hold me hold me accountable here, he's 38, I believe? I'm going to say he's 36, 38? Uh, 37. 37, okay, right in the middle. So he's 37 years old, two-year deal. How effective is he going to be in two years? Is he still going to be the great closer he is now? Is this kind of production sustainable? I don't have the answer to any of those questions, and I get why people are apprehensive about that. I don't know. In a vacuum, I don't hate this move. I think it's it's fine. I think it's okay. But in light of the trade deadline being what it was, I get that it looks worse now in retrospect. Through no fault of Daniel, to be clear. Like, through no fault of Bards. Because he, you know, in his presser, he was very clear that this was, like, a decision made, you know, partly among himself and his family. He wants to stay here. He likes the organization. He likes the guys he works with. And I love all that. That's great to hear. I get that. But... You know, talking organizationally about what it means, I get now after the deadline why it looks a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I said last week, and I had been saying previously that I would have been very surprised if Daniel Bard and CJ Crone were moved at the deadline. And, you know, I ended up being right on that. I also predicted uh, two years, if anything, for uh, Bard for being extended, which, again, is basically what he got a little bit of an overpay. So I was predicting maybe like two years, 14 million. Uh, so two years, 19 is a little bit higher than that. Of course you do have to pay a premium for pitchers that are actually willing to play at Coors field long term. Um, so it's a little pricier than I expected, but not necessarily unreasonable. And I'm, I'm super happy for Daniel because he's getting, you know, get that bag, Daniel especially with the with the career path that he has had so far. Um, it's interesting because he is 37 years old, but he also does not have the same degree of wear and tear on his arm that a pitcher his age would normally have because of that unique career trajectory that he has had so far. So you could reasonably expect him to to keep trucking along through those next two years through his age 39-plus season. Um, but you really don't know. It's tough because we're in an era where some pitchers are pitching, you know, well into their late thirties and looking like absolute superstars and, you know, plenty of others just, they, they stop. And, and Daniel Bard's at that weird middle ground where he's pitching now two out of three seasons with the Rockies. He's pitched very, very well. Uh, last year, not so great, unfortunately, but this year in, in 2020, both pitch really well. And all we can really do is sort of wait and see how this pans out. Mac, I definitely agree with you. Um, what the Rockies really value him for is his basically mentorship of the younger players. Um, they really value him as like a mental health skills coach and a mentor for the younger players because of everything he's been through. And I think that's totally reasonable in addition to his his good performance at Coors Field and with the Rockies in general. Um, so this year, over 39 games, he's uh, got a 2.04 ERA, 22 saves out of 23 opportunities. Uh, his walks are down. His his FIP is pretty solid at 3.47. And it's rare that you get a pitcher with that kind of performance that wants to stay with the team. And so I understand jumping on that. You know, Even though you could have seen if you could trade him and re-sign him in the offseason, you don't know if he would necessarily come back. So, it's complicated. I never thought Bard was going anywhere anyway. Um, it's the rest of the deadline that really shook me. But, 
I don't hate Bard sticking around. I really do. I really do like him. I'm I'm super happy for him that he got this big paycheck. It's great for him and for his family to continue to have the um, the solid foundation that he's built here in Colorado. And all I can say is that I hope he keeps it up. Yeah, it'd be good. And I'm kind of in that same ballpark. In an article I wrote about this type of thing back in June, same thing, two years. So I think that's what everybody was kind of predicting. Uh, but I still do agree. A little bit over an overpay, almost $20 million seems kind of a little much. Um, and I'm also in the ballpark where I don't buy into the stupid garbage of having to pay a guy extra because of the Coors Field premium. If that's the case, guys should be taking a discount to pitch it like, you know, anywhere on the West Coast at those giant ballparks. That's a whole other tangent. But uh, it's it good. I personally would have liked the gamble of, okay, we need him, but we could also get some prospects for him. And we can take that gamble and try and get him back in the offseason. If we get him back, that's great. We've won all around. If we don't, or if we trade him and we don't bring him back, at least, you know, here's these two, three other players that we were able to get for him that could become the next Daniel Bard in performance-wise. So it was a 50-50 thing for me. But good on Daniel. Getting He's been performing well. It's good to have some, I guess, a solid player there in the closer role. But you do have to at least just be slightly worried about just the natural aging process. Like the wear and tear, that's good. He doesn't have that as much. But still, the body won't work as well as you hope it would, no matter what you do. But, again, that's all something you can't predict or really plan for. So, we'll just do what we can. And it then puts kind of the pressure on the rest of the offense. Or we need to get to a point where he is coming in to rack up saves and not constantly be down 5-1 in the ninth inning and try to make a rally. But yeah, because he him. did not pitch that much in July and yeah. has only one appearance here in August so far because there's not really much point of putting your closer out there when you're getting smacked around every night. Exactly. A premium closer does you no good if you're not giving him opportunities to earn a save. And so, otherwise, you can roll anybody out at that point. So, hopefully it works out for the Rockies and they have lots to do. Um, but now we'll talk a little bit about what they didn't do. So they kind of boasted the Daniel Bard signing is, hey, we did this. This was our big move. And then out of the 30 MLB teams, one stood alone as the winner-winner chicken dinner in the Battle Royale of doing absolutely nothing. They won the Battle Royale by just sitting and camping in the bushes a la Fortnite until the very end. Didn't do anything, had some trade assets, stood pat, sent nobody away. So Jose Iglesias, uh, Alex Colomay, Daniel Bard, other guys I'm blanking on at the moment. But tons of guys that are going to be free agents after this season, they held on to and didn't do anything. And understandably, and I think we're all as fans as well in that ballpark, of kind of upset that the Rockies didn't do anything. We kind of expected this, and we're still disappointed that they didn't make w- at least one move. 
of any kind. And so I just kind of want to unravel this with you guys, how you're feeling about this and, you know, sitting on it and stewing on it for a couple of days. Just your thoughts about the 2022 trade deadline for the Rockies. We'll start with Evan here. So I was on day of the deadline. I tried to remain hopeful up through maybe the last hour of the deadline where it was just, it was very clear that they weren't going to do anything because we had some actual rumors of the Rockies being involved to the deadline that morning where, you know, Bud Black was on MLB radio going, oh, if we trade Iglesias, it'll open up room for Tovar and that they were calling up uh, El Hiris Montero. And maybe that means that they are going to clear some roster space for him to get regular playing time. Uh, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com reported that um, teams were interested in Chad Cool and Carlos Estevez. And the Rockies had uh, seven players that are free agents at the end of the year. So Jose Iglesias, Chad Cool, Jose Arena, Jolice Chassin, Carlos Estevez, Alex Colome, and um, I'm, I'm blanking on the last one. <laughs> it right would have been Daniel Bard. And then he signed the contract. I think there was another one after that even, but what matters is that the Rockies did nothing. And so now all of these players can potentially walk at the end of the season for for no return whatsoever. And if a bunch of these guys are back next year, that represents a huge problem organizationally where they're just continuing to log jam young players. And I sincerely doubt that it's the usual Rockies gambit of, oh, we're going to offer them a qualifying offer because I sincerely doubt that Jose Iglesias at 32 years old walks away from a $20 million qualifying offer for a comp pick. Mm. So it's, it's so frustrating because there were moves to be made. There were moves that needed to be made and they didn't make any of them. And then Bill Schmidt with his, his after deadline pressers with this nonsense vagary and statements that are just, for lack of a better term, they're a load of junk. Like, he's talking about how, oh, we don't know what the Rockies' payroll is going to be like, and we don't know what our financial assets are like. He plays the, oh, we're so poor card. When I've I've discussed this week that the Rockies and the San Diego Padres, who were huge buyers this, this deadline, and are really making that push, have very similar revenues since 2015. There's only like a $24 million difference from 2015 to 2021. And so that doesn't make any sense. And then he goes, well, we're the only team that extended a player at the deadline. And that's just straight up not true because the Padres extended Joe Musgrove and the Braves extended Austin Riley. And he says this nonsense about, oh, keeping up with the... We, we, we can't try and keep up with the Joneses because we're not in the financial situation to do that. And we're going to do it the best we can with the resources we have. And what drives me crazy about that resources we have statement is that we had resources to trade and we didn't. And it's not about, and he, he said something about where we didn't see anything that would make the team play be, team B better right now. And when you're 14 games below 500, it's not about the team being better right now it's about the team being better in the future and that is why you sell assets to prepare for that and so instead of doing that or instead of saying instead of actually backing up their claim of oh we think we're a great team that's so close to contending and however nonsensically buying at the deadline they did neither of those 
and they don't set us up for a good future, and they don't set us up for a good rest of this season. They just set us up to continue to sit on our hands and be the same team that we've been. And this is not a good team. Like, we're over 22 games behind in the division. We are 14 games below 500. We hit our season uh, low mark for games below 500 earlier this week at 15 games below 500. There is basically a 0% chance that the Rockies make the playoffs in any fashion. And now we've got six or seven players all prepped to walk for zero return. And what was the point of it all? That's the question. What was the point of it all, Mac? (laughs) You know, this is obviously... I think it's a pretty charged question right now just because... You've got teams like, you know, you've got like, I think, I think it's a lot. It's, it's hard to say the Rockies don't seem to be very forthcoming with the direction that they want to go. in, And I think that's the thing that upsets fans more than anything else. Just like Evan said, these other teams, these other like big market teams, like make all these moves, but the small market teams do too. You know, you've got teams like the Reds who traded away players because they want to build for their future. And other teams had tough deadlines. The White Sox, who were in the middle of a playoff push, acquired Jake Deepin and nothing else. And White Sox fans were upset about that because they said, we need to do more. We need to try and win the series this year. One reliever is good, but that's, that's not enough for us. And the White Sox um, ownership and the front office came out and said, we're frustrated too. We wanted to make more deals. We're sorry we couldn't make that happen. We understand your frustration. And that is a very big difference, right? I'm not coming after the Rockies front office in any sort of personal way or anything like that, but I, I do think it's necessary to point out that when, you know, called upon to answer what happened, why did they, you know, not make the moves? Why were guys... Because like Evan said, like, Chad Cool, Jose Iglesias, Jolice Chassin, um, uh, Alex Colomay, these are all guys that are going to walk this year with no... Um, with no reimbursement to the Rockies at all. Like, the Rockies will get nothing. They'll walk, and that'll be it. Now, is it possible some of them could be re-signed? Sure, but the point is that, like, they're probably not going to re-sign all those names. And this is, once again, a situation just like with John Gray, where the Rockies had a guy in their last year of their contract and could have maybe got something for them. It just It just seems like there's a disconnect as far as what the Rockies have planned for their immediate future and what the plan is for the long-term future. I don't think the Rock... Because we hear all the time that the Rockies, um, you know, don't want to rebuild. And listen, I think that's fine. I don't necessarily... I said this in our in our little group chat the other day. I don't necessarily think the Rockies should rebuild. Mm-hmm. That's a hot take, potentially. But I don't necessarily think that it's necessary for the Rockies to tear it down you know, get all the players out of it that, that they can. Fine. Like if you don't wanna if you don't want to just totally start over and, you know, build from the ground up, that's fine. But then it's got to happen that you have to make decisions for the now. Because the Rockies neither improved as a team currently nor improved as a team for the future. If Daniel Bard gets moved, if Alex Colomay gets moved, if Jose Iglesias get moved for prospects. That makes sense, right? We're building towards the mm-hmm. future. 
if you say no, we don't want to do that, but you make trades for more relievers, maybe get another starter, maybe get another bat somewhere, you can say, okay, well, however much you disagree that they should be going for the playoffs, at least we can say, okay, they believe that they're ready. Whether or not that that's you know the way to go is up to up to interpretation, but at least we can say, okay, they believe that they're ready. But neither of those things happened. Mm-hmm. Neither of those options were 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 presented to us because it just seemed that the Rockies said and and listen we don't know if maybe there were deals that were supposed to happen that didn't happen or maybe they you know tried and couldn't get something done like I want to give them that option but either way every other team in baseball made something happen Mm -hmm. and I think there is nothing that's more frustrating for fans of the Rockies than that just mediocrity uh there's a rule in wrestling and it's that you either have to be booed very loudly or you have to be cheered very loudly but the worst thing you can do to your career is be boring and get no reaction that's the worst thing that can happen to a pro wrestler mm-hmm. and unfortunately as far as the trade deadline is concerned that is exactly what happened to the colorado rockies yeah and something i wanted to touch on here that you talked about mac before we take a break and we'll definitely keep this conversation going uh after our little break but it's that transparency you mentioned with the front office. Mm-hmm. And we've all had these conversations before, and it seemed like for years, you know, after the season when the Rockies still did after the season press conferences, they haven't done those for a couple of years now because they think they realize we are just going to say the same thing ever, over and over again. Mm-hmm. But we keep hearing the same, you know, just same answers spewed out to us. Of these guys want to be here. We just need to play better. We haven't played to our potential. We're poor. We can't keep up with these teams. And we're just getting these same answers regurgitated to us. Where the other day, I watched the uh, Mike Rizzo of the Nationals, the Nationals GM, talk about the Juan Soto trade. And overall, mm-hmm. like I, the feeling I got from that was it was still very positive. Of, yeah, we just felt this was necessary, you know, to, to do right by Juan Soto. We hear from Juan Soto in his press conference. Like he's still in good terms with the Nationals. It's just the move that they felt they needed to make. And he talked about the prospects. Like You look at what the Nationals got in exchange for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. They got a pretty good haul there. Yep. And his conversation about that, nice and transparent, like this is what we felt, but these guys, we followed them, we've scouted them. We're really excited about these guys we're getting back. Here's why. Here's why we made this trade and, the, and whatnot. And it was really nice. And we see that from a lot of other front offices. The GMs will come out like, this was our plan. You know, leading up to the deadline, this is our plan. This is what we're looking for. This is what we want to do to try and acquire this. And we'll hear all these rumors of, okay, we're interested in this guy. And then it seems like it's a done deal type of thing. The Yankees say they want somebody. No, most of the time they're going to get that person. And, and so it's that, though, I like what you mentioned with the White Sox coming out like, yeah, we're frustrated. We wanted to make more, but we mm-hmm. just couldn't do it. The Rockies, we just never hear that from them. And I think that's what's most frustrating you know, for a lot of folks. I think even in the media, too, you know, our yep. beat reporters, everybody, is that it just doesn't feel like there's a plan. And they exist in their own little world and they'll do things that just confuse everybody. And then the explanations for why they do those things are still just as confusing. <laughs> and so I think that's 
a huge frustrating thing for all of us is the lack of transparency and understanding of the direction that the team is going. Because if they say the expectation is to win now, okay, then lay out that plan. What are you doing to bring that to pass? Instead, we hear reports of so-and-so gets fired from research department. So-and-so is leaving analytics department. And just kind of this type of stuff again and again. Rockies do nothing at the deadline. So their words aren't correlating with the actions. And I think that's the thing I'm frustrated with. That's what I'm sure both of you are frustrated with. Everybody in Colorado that's a Rockies fan is frustrated by it. And so it brings a matter of what can be done. Mm-hmm. And we'll go ahead and keep this conversation going. We're going to take a quick break here and keep this conversation going about the Rockies with the trade deadline and touch on no, the big moves around the league as well and our reactions to that. So don't go anywhere. Still plenty left to go. Hello and welcome back here to Affected by Altitude. Uh, we're just going to keep rolling in with our discussion about the Rockies' uh, super exciting trade deadline. And Evan wanted to kick things off, kind of building off what I was talking about with you know, my statements before we went to break. So I'll let Evan just roll back into this. Yeah, before we went to break, you were talking about uh, Nationals GM Mike Rizzo and his press conference after trading Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres. And a big thing that uh, we were talking about there was the openness of that press conference. And one of my one of my big things there in that press conference was Mike Rizzo, wearing his World Series ring, was asked, how do you feel about being the GM that traded away Juan Soto? And his response was very open. It's like, well, I was also the GM that signed Juan Soto. And it's very much mm-hmm. like, it's it's a confidence that we don't really see from the Rockies front office in addition to the openness of we can find other great players and this was the move that I felt like I needed to make. Mm-hmm. Versus what we get from the Rockies where we get this this vagary, the, these nothing statements of, oh, uh, our financials, oh, we, we weren't going to get better, we, we don't know this, we don't know that. We don't even know if the Rockies got any offers on anyone, which you have to assume that they did. Otherwise, it's so weird that just, like, nobody even reaches out to the Rockies anymore, which I guess would also make sense with how they've played it, because the Rockies are so insular and carry everything so close to their chest. And what what drives me crazy about that is being insular like that would make sense if the Rockies were some super good team with tons of success and closely guarded trade secrets. But they're not. The Rockies mm-hmm. are a bad team that have been consistently bad, that have had since since our last major foray into the playoffs, not counting 2018 and 2017. 2009 was our last really good season before those. So mm-hmm. since 2009, 12 seasons, only two of which the 17 and 18 seasons were above 500. So that's 10 losing seasons in the last 12 years, another losing season this year, and they keep playing it close to the chest, like, oh, we've, we've got these trade secrets, we have to be so insular, and they just don't have any reason to be that insular. And it leads to fan frustration and fan apathy, because... They know that the team is bad, and they know that the team isn't going to do anything to stop being bad. And even if mm-hmm. they are, we're not going to know what that is. 
And then they do these these strange things, like do absolutely nothing at the deadline, and then won't clue us in as to what happened. And I'm not asking for like a detailed breakdown of every offer or lack of offer that you got. I'm asking for something. Give me something to work with here. Because mm-hmm. we we get all the stuff, and we, we weren't really kept in the loop with the John Gray negotiations either until we find out that you know, in, in one of Nick Groke's articles in the last you know week or two, that the Rockies organization is mad at John Gray because his agent found him a better offer than the Rockies gave him in Texas. Like, his agent did his job, and the Rockies were, were mad about that because, oh, John, but John Gray wanted to be here. But it's like, it's cool that people want to be here, but you can't expect people to take big hometown discounts all the time. And at the same time, when a team is is not being open about any sort of effort they're making to be a better team, either now or in the future, what does that give people to react off of? Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely frustrating. I think that's you know what's what's so I guess is frustrating as the fan is you know when we hear we're trying to get better. Or we need to play better. Okay. Like, yes, I agree. You need to play better. But how are you going to do that? How are you going to get better? And we just never seem to hear those answers from anyone. Now, I feel bad for Bud Black because then these kind of questions get directed at him. And what's Bud Black supposed to say about these things? Like, yeah, we need to do this and that better. And this kind of goes back to that conversation we've had before. And I'm with Mac. Or no, the team never needs to like fully burn everything to the ground and start over. Uh, but you can retool and improve in certain aspects without having to burn everything down. And sometimes you have to like break it down quite a bit. But those are the things that they're not willing to do. And oh, we're, we're joking about it before, and we've joked about it a lot. You no, know, Evan, you mentioned the they want to be here. And they use that as the the defining feature of how they build their roster and build their team. And people have pointed it out on Twitter that they seem to care way more about the culture of their team than the actual aspect of winning as a team. Which, no, I'm sure they want to win. It just feels like sometimes they don't know how to do it. And I think that kind of leads to the, the apathy and kind of the shrug your shoulders like, what can you do? That's baseball. Um, what are your thoughts, Mac? I think it's. I think you guys are making good points, and I think the thing that's so funny about it too is like, you know, the Rockies, right? They say they don't want to tear it down, whatever. But like, look at all the names that the Rockies could potentially move at the deadline: Chad Cool, Alex Colome, Jose Iglesias. Uh, let's just, let's even just start with just those three, okay? Let's say the Rockies move off from all of those. And by the way, I get culture. I understand wanting to, you know build relationships and have a good clubhouse atmosphere. I think Chad Cool is a great guy. You know, I I think that he is somebody that has shown consistently, even while he's struggling, that he is a stand-up professional. He fields tough questions. He never backs down from taking accountability for his own performance, as well as the teams when they do well. And, like, I think he is a pro's pro. I'm a big Chad Cool guy. But let's say the Rockies had moved Jose Iglesias... Chad Cool and Alex Colomay at the deadline. The Rockies have the pieces. 
ready to take those other roles on. You know, okay, Alex Colomay, you you lose a decent to pretty good right-handed reliever. Well, Justin Lawrence is ready. We've said that Justin Lawrence can be a plus reliever for the Rockies, and he's struggled for sure. But I think that he's a guy that could step into that seventh or eighth inning mm-hmm. role. Jose Iglesias gets moved uh, this offseason. Okay, have Alan Trejo play short for the rest of the season, or Garrett Hampson, whoever that might be. I don't have to tell anyone listening to this podcast that's not to- that it's not Tovar time. We all think that Ezekiel Tovar is just about major league ready, and and like he is the shortstop of the future. You move, you know, Chad Cool at the deadline again. I like Chad Cool a lot. I think he's a good dude, but there are teams that could use that fifth starter. You move Chad Cool at the deadline. Well, the Rockies have Ryan Feltner ready to go. They've got Ryan Rollison, hopefully, might be ready to go. They've got these starters that, you know, our buddies Justin and Kenneth talk about all the time on the uh, Pablo Hardcott podcast in these, you know, lower levels of the minor league that could potentially be ready to slide in as a fifth starter for the Rockies. You know, and, and even if not, even if you don't want to go to one of those, like, big-name prospects, Ryan, Felt- Ryan Feltner is on the big league team. Or at least he's been there before. Like, he can just play as your fifth starter for the rest of the season. Right now, those are pieces that the Rockies see as a significant part of their future that are ready to go into those roles, but they can't because those guys are, quote-unquote, blocking them. I'm not trying to turn this into a slam piece against any of those guys, Colome or Cool or Iglesias. All of those players have, have done fairly well this year. Fairly well. Chad Cool's cooled off recently. Colome's given up a couple home runs recently. That's been tough. But Jose Iglesias continues to play very well. And in general, I'm happy with how those guys have played for this team that is obviously not competing this year. All I'm saying is you don't have to tear down the entire organization and start from scratch to still get pieces back and build on your future. Those three moves alone right there. Show of hands between the three of us. If the Rockies had moved Chad Cool, Jose Iglesias, and Alex Colome at the deadline and gotten pieces back, who would have been fine with that as a deadline yeah, move? I would have been thrilled. Right? Like, we would have been totally fine with that. And that's not an organization-defining move like Juan Soto. That's not a complete teardown. That's just a reasonable amount of moves to make to set yourself for the future, and that didn't happen. And I think, as we have mentioned, that lack of transparency and that lack of a clear identity and that unclear idea of what exactly the Rockies are doing for the future is the most frustrating part of this entire thing. You know, that to me is a good middle ground between we are definitely going to compete this year because, respectfully, love this team, love the guys on it. They're not. 14 games under 500 as we record today. They're not getting a wild card spot. Or a complete and utter teardown, move everyone, ship Blackman, ship Crone, ship Freeland, ship Marquez. I don't think that's necessary either. Those three moves that I mentioned earlier are a good middle ground between that where we say, okay... We're probably not going to compete this season, but here are moves that are going to get us there sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the Rockies, you know, obviously missed yeah, out. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. they're definitely, you look at the way the team is built right now, and we've got guys who, at least for the next couple of years, are locking down certain positions where you don't have to rebuild there. You've got Ryan McMahon, you've got Brandon Rogers, you've got CJ Crone mm-hmm. through next year. Um, if Elias Diaz continues to get that bat heating up he's locked down for another two seasons after this mm-hmm. um you've got chris bryant and you've got charlie blackman for next year okay that's a that's a good core that's a good core to have 
But, you know, a bunch of these guys that we had that are are very likely not here next year, if we had traded them and gotten mm-hmm. some, you know, even double A AA or triple A prospects, because those are definitely the two the two weakest levels of our farm system right now. And that's not to bash yeah. on the yard goats or the uh, isotopes. That's just sort of how our farm system is built right now with how we've drafted recently that a lot of our top guys are are in lower high A. It's a very bottom-heavy organization. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Um, but you do have guys that you can take a look at in, in AAA and see how they do in the big league level. If you don't want to be putting Garrett Hampson or Alan Trejo out at shortstop, Coco Montez is killing it mm-hmm. with Albuquerque. He's been fantastic. Uh, if you want to try an outfield piece, I've said it before, Winton Bernard is showing that he deserves a shot. And and for pitching, like like you said, Justin Lawrence, how are we going to know if he's big league ready without giving him regular big league reps? Same for Ryan Feltner. Like yep. These are two mm-hmm. guys who in yep. Albuquerque have shown that there's not much else that they have to prove down there. And I like the move that we did recently if we called up Chad Smith because Chad Smith is one of those guys, he has very little left to prove down in Albuquerque. So give him regular innings up here. Same with Jake Bird. Jake Bird has not been fabulous um, in his rookie campaign. He had a couple really good outings to start, and then he he struggled, honestly. And it's going to be a big question of can he get through it. But the Rockies are at a point right now where you need to let him try and get through it. And it's the same with any other guy who has been up and down this year. Is We're at a point in the season where... You've got to let guys try and get through it. And none of them can really do that when you've got all these guys who are likely gone next year taking up that roster space. And if, you know, Jose Iglesias or Alex Colomay or all of those guys are having a great time being here in Colorado this year, that rules. That's great. But I've made this comparison before in the in the movie Little Big League. <laughs> the, the main character has to cut his favorite player who's been a lifer for that organization. And it's a, and it's a tough call, but if you're trying to some, you can't always just go, Oh, he wants to be here so he can stay. You've got to make tough calls as an organization. And, you know, sometimes the Rockies do that and, you know, letting uh, Trevor story walk when they didn't trade him, they should have traded him, but you know, knowing that he was gone, that was a tough call. And they, at least they made that call. They knew he was gone. And they, they tried. They made some genuine efforts to get him to come back after Bill Schmidt took over. And it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Fine. Okay. Nolan Arnauto trade. Incredibly unpopular, obviously. But that was a tough call that had to be made. Because it was very clear that he was unhappy with this organization and didn't want to be here. So you make that tough call. And, you know... this. These that I'm talking about here with with uh, Colbain, Iglesias, and Cool are, are magnitudes lower in terms of those tough calls, but they're still calls that you need to make. And instead of yep. making a tough call, the Rockies just decide not to. Decide not to make any call at all. And then they'll mm-hmm. hold any of their reasoning why close to the chest and just say nothing. Do nothing. Give us nothing. And then wonder why fans are frustrated or fans are apathetic. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's tough because the Rockies do have 
an extremely dedicated fan base in certain pockets. And, you, you know, there's always going to be, be the people who, who are just going to the ballpark because it's a beautiful summer day in Denver, Colorado, and you can go up to the rooftop and get drinks and enjoy a baseball game as your background. But something I think the Rockies sometimes take for granted is that they do have a really a dedicated fan base despite the almost 30 years now of inability to field a winning team. And it's starting to get to the point now where people are, are becoming apathetic. And what, what was it, Mac, that you said earlier that the worst thing that you can do is to be boring. And it's not that the Rockets are necessarily boring, but it's the way that they run things generates apathy. And it's already tough for, for those Rockies fans because we go to the ballpark and we're completely surrounded by opposing fans who treat it as their home ballpark. And, you know, speaking from personal experience, I went to the Rockies game against the Dodgers last weekend. One of the worst ballpark experiences I have ever had at Coors Field, where not only was it a bad product on the field, and when we lost, but we were just, it was completely full of Dodgers fans. Right behind where I was sitting, huge section of Dodgers fans being incredibly rude and harassing people. And that is the environment that we generate because Rockies fans are, are maybe becoming apathetic and, and the opposing fans get to come in and it's, it's their house. It, it's, it's their house. It's their rules. And it's so, so frustrating because I think literally anything from the organization in terms of being honest with us could help stave off fan apathy and give us something to like clutch on to be like, all right, there is a plan, there is an identity. And we're just not really getting that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the hard part too with that is the Rockies keep holding on to the past. They'll point to things in the past of whereas a lot of Rockies fans are looking towards the future now. Yeah, you can talk about, yeah, we went to the playoffs in back-to-back -back years in 2017 and 18. Okay, but it's 2022. You know, we went to the World Series in 2007 when I was in sixth grade. I'm 26 <laughs> years old now, and you've only been to the playoffs you know, three times since that World Series and got knocked out in the first round in most in, you know, the majority of those. So they're not looking towards the future and they keep looking at the past, you know, and just in this weird stasis of not doing anything. Now this is a team that toots itself as a draft and develop type of organization. But the problem with that is we look at the roster now and how well has that been working out, you know, as much. You look at the roster right now of your position players how many are homegrown stars? You got Brendan Rodgers, Ryan McMahon, and Charlie Blackman. Okay. You look at your rotation. It's uh, You can kind of count Marquez, but not really since he wasn't drafted by the team and not super developed throughout all the years. But it's really Antonio Senzatella, Kyle Freeland. Okay, that puts us up to five guys on the big league roster that were drafted developed 
all this stuff, and then there's guys in the bullpen, a couple of guys in the bullpen. And so you look at that, and they're not really living up to that expectation for themselves of being a draft-and-develop organization. And you can look at the Dodgers. You can look at a lot of other teams that are – the Dodgers, I think, are the prime example of a team that does incredibly well drafting and developing to then turn those prospects into other assets as needed while having guys come up and make big impacts on the on the roster. Because look at what that James Outman did against the Rockies. What their pitchers do against the Rockies. And so they're in this weird stasis where they're trying to say, oh, we're going to draft and develop. We're this kind of organization. Well, then holding on to these veterans that they sign and not doing anything with them to get more prospects to develop and everything. So I think we've talked about this before. Of they can't have their cake and eat it too. Of hoarding all of these prospects and guys that they deem so valuable but then never giving them a chance, but then they hold on to them and don't trade them away for big league assets to help them compete now like they want to do. So they're just trying to live both worlds. They're Hannah Montana right now. (laughs) They're trying to be Miley Cyrus over here, living her day-to-day life with her prospects and everything. (laughs) But then they flip on that wig and try to say, hey, we're Hannah Montana, big superstar country person on Disney Channel with these big league pieces saying we can compete now. We're a good team. We're going to win. If that analogy makes sense. What a reference. Well, and and think about, they, they do the whole, Oh, we're a draft and develop team, but there are only two players on this roster right now that were drafted in the last seven years, 2015 that have become regular players with the team. And that's Brendan Rodgers, who was drafted in 2015. And then that's Lucas Gilbreth, who was drafted in um, 2017. And you look at that and you go, well, that doesn't look like a draft and develop first kind of team. Because Mm -hmm. 2015 was seven years ago. And Brendan Rodgers is the only regular position player that we've gotten from our own draft and developed into into a regular big league contributor that can't be right we're, we're a draft and develop team mm. and and you look at like we definitely have these guys that we've drafted but like kyle freeland was drafted in 2014 ryan mcmahon was 2014 or 2013 you know charlie blackman's been on this team for over a decade all these guys that we did draft and develop that have been here have been here for a long time and then we have all these other guys who are guys we didn't draft and didn't develop uh at least yes pittsburgh pirates cj crone los angeles angels uh, jose iglesias was originally drafted by the boston red sox i think uh, grichik was drafted by the cardinals connor joe was drafted by the pirates and and these are guys are are our regular contributors they weren't drafted or developed by us and then we have these guys that we have drafted and are developing that cannot play at the big league level because they are being blocked by these veterans. Where Elihiros Montero, Bud Black finally said uh, this last week that the goal is to make sure he's getting more consistent playing time. Great. Why didn't you do that earlier? Why did it have to wait until after the All-Star break? 
And now we're, we have all of our other guys who like, we have some incredibly promising prospects and we have, we have five top 100 prospects per baseball America and four per MLB pipeline, but they're all, they're all low a or, or high a prospects. And now we've got to seriously consider the question of when it gets to 2024 or 2025 and these guys are ready for the show. They're ready to be promoted to the big leagues. Are they going to have the opportunity to do so? Or are they going to be blocked? Yeah, that's the big question. And ideally, you they have one of two paths they can go. Of Look at what the Padres have done, where they've gone all in, like they're desperate to win. And so, they have just sent out their farm. These highly tutored prospects that they've had, they've built for years, all these prospects, they're cashing in on those prospects to get guys like Juan Soto, who's about the same age or younger than some of the prospects they just traded to get him and Josh Bell. And we see the teams that win, they realize we have these prospects. We need to win now. We need to send them away so we can get these big league assets. Or there's other teams they'll say, okay, we have these prospects that are ready. We need to make room for them. So we're going to, so we can try and compete in these next couple of years. They'll send their veterans out to make room for them. But we've seen with the Rockies this exodus of players with like Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado, homegrown drafted players. They're gone. John Gray leaves. And now there's just kind of this big void on the team where all of a sudden that draft and development, you're kind of like, well, where are they? Where are the guys that we drafted and developed? Oh, they're still hiding out in Triple A, or they're down in Double A or Spokane in high a like oh man that's like three or four years off still it feels like so it's this not progressing i think that's what we're the bottom line is is it doesn't feel like there's forward progress for the rockies they're just standing pat they're in neutral just kind of coasting down the highway not no nothing on the accelerator nothing on the brake they're just coasting but the problem with coasting is you're slowly losing momentum anyway until you come to a full stop. Hmm. And it's like, there there are draft and develop teams out there. Today. You know what's a great example of a draft and develop team that's finally starting to hit their stride? Is the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah. their entire lineup is homegrown guys who all came up to the minors together. They have some really exciting young talent. They have Julio Rodriguez, who's incredible. And they spent years building their farm system back up to being one of the best in the league. And now that they have a roster that they think is competitive, they then made the switch. And they, they mm-hmm. sent a pretty solid haul of prospects over to Cincinnati for starting pitcher Luis Castillo to help sort of get them over the hump. And then they signed a bunch of other guys where they signed, they brought in Robbie Ray. But like the, the majority of their lineup is legitimately a draft and develop homegrown team. And then mm-hmm. when they were happy with where they were at, they did what the Rockies don't do, which is being willing to part with their horde of prospects to make those final pushes. And and the Mariners are, are, are reaping the reward there, where they are likely to get one of those uh, coveted wild card spots. That, you know, their their division, they, they also play in a tough division. Less, less tough, I would say, than the NL West, but the AL West has the Houston Astros in it. A perennial contender, Houston Astros. And 
yet the Mariners are really being competitive this year. And so I don't know what the Rockies intend to do for the future. I don't think any of us does because of how insular and secretive they are. But if you're going to be a draft and develop team, there are models out there to follow for success. And you mm-hmm. also have the Mariners who are, who are very open. That's another thing that we'll, we'll touch on. I'll touch on with that. Like we talked about earlier, how Mike Rizzo was so open and honest at his press conference. The White Sox were open and honest. Jerry DePoto, the general manager of the Seattle Mariners was very open going into the rebuild where he was like, yeah, we're rebuilding. This is our estimated timeline. It's probably going to be hard for the next couple of years. And he was right, but he was honest about it. And that eased the sting. And now that they're coming out of it and you've got all these guys that he drafted in combination with these big splashes he made this year to try and finally push this team over the top to get them to their first playoff appearance in 20 years. And he's, mm-hmm. he's been open and honest about it the entire way. Yeah. And, and he's like, you mentioned that perfect example. You know, they had their right core of drafted people. And then they looked at that roster and see, okay, who do we have? He's not quite performing to the, to what we need right now to get to the playoffs. We're going to go out and trade for somebody now to bring him in. Go get Carlos Santana. No, we're going to go get Jess Winker. We're going to get Eugenio Suarez. Mm-hmm. Fill up some holes that we have in our lineup that's just not ready to be filled or we don't feel comfortable filling with our, our developed prospects to give them more cooking time. Mm-hmm. So evaluation and developing these guys is something that feels like it's done a lot better by a lot of other teams, whereas the Rockies just kind of use these top prospects and shuttle them back and forth nowadays. Yeah, and the and the Mariners parted with one of their best prospects, one of one of the better prospects in the league, in Noel V. Marte, to get Luis Castillo. They they bit the bullet on that and said we need a a push forward on our starting rotation right now. We have an asset that we can leverage to make that happen, and they made it happen. Yeah, so. What are your thoughts here, Mac, before we kind of close this thing out here? I think you guys have killed it, honestly. I'm just looking at stats while you guys are talking about this stuff, and I have very little to add just because I think you guys are absolutely crushing this whole segment. But, yeah, I, I just think – I guess my, here's my closing thought on this, and actually it's, I'm going to pivot a little bit away from what we're talking about only because something Evan said earlier really, really resonated with me. And it's funny you said this because I talked to you guys before we even started recording – but I'm thinking about writing about this sort of subject, which is that, like, there's always going to be two kinds of Rockies fans. And that's the hardcore prospect watch, MLB pipeline, plan for the future fans. Like, I would say like us, right? Like us who are knowledgeable about the franchise and about its about its history and about its future versus the fans that go on a Sunday night, go to the rooftop, have a couple drinks and just chill out with their friends. And I think that it's okay to be either one of those fans. I think right now this team, and I and like I think this is sort of a charged statement. I don't want it to come off as anything other than just like a personal opinion, without any sort of malice or anything in it. But I think right now this team is built, and I think the organization is built to cater to those second fans. 
the Purple Monday guys who want to go grab a, a, a bobblehead or the the guys that just show up, want to have a dog, and just a day away from the office. And there's nothing wrong with that, with being that fan. But I think that right now, those are the fans that are happy with this product, and I think those are the fans that are going to make this team money. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's why, you know, the, the, the hardcore fans with the, the, the real seam heads or whatever don't show up like they used to. That's why Evan had, you know, a lot of Dodgers fans of the game he went to for right for better or worse like that's you know i think that's where this team is at right now and whether you think that's wrong or right is entirely you know up to your own interpretation but that's just personally where i see the rockies are right now and i think that's where they're going to stay probably for the next little while and i know we were wanted to talk about other trades and stuff today um and i'm i know this kind of turned into a whole thing so i don't go too long here but i just think that's where like that's where I yeah. see them currently. Is playoffs will be nice, but as long as we can get people to come by and hang at the rooftop and and grab a dog and sit, take their picture with Dinger or whatever, I think that they're yeah. Going and to and what what really building on that is, I think. So a lot of people are very critical of Rocky's owner Dick Monfort, and I think it is it is very fair to be critical of Rocky's owner Dick Monfort. But it's important to say that I don't necessarily. It's not necessarily. I think that he doesn't want to win. I think that he just is not baseball smart. And he puts himself at the top of the organization as a guy who makes baseball decisions when he does not have the knowledge to do that. And it's okay to not have the knowledge to do that. Because plenty of owners are like that. But the difference is those owners know when to step aside and let the baseball people do their job. And I think... It's frustrating because we're trying to balance that. Because there there are two truths about Dick Monfort. Is that he does want the team to win. And that first and foremost, he is a businessman. And of course he's going to cater as a businessman to whatever makes the park be full. It doesn't matter if it's all Rockies fans or it doesn't matter if it's all visiting fans. If there are people in the ballpark and he is making money, he is happy. And you know, that's just how billionaires be. Billionaire is going to billionaire. And I would be fine with that. And I think other Rockies fans would be fine with it if he didn't also tout himself as the baseball decision maker. Where he is putting himself into front office moves and into trades and into signings where he has no business being. And I think that leads to where we're at, like you said, Mac, with where where the fans are right now, is that the majority of Rockies fans, and it's okay to be this kind of Rockies fan, are just going to have a nice night at the ballpark. It doesn't really matter if we win or if we lose or anything like that. I got to go out and enjoy a beautiful summer evening in Colorado and have a couple beers and a Rockies dog and hang out with my buds. But then it feels like punishment to the more hardcore of the Rockies fans who... And, you know, I, I count myself as one of these more hardcore fans. I am very, very passionate about this team. And it is so exhausting and frustrating to watch them make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Yeah, I think we're all in that same boat. And I think of how when I go to a Rockies game, I don't drink or anything. So that's not why I'm at the ballpark either. And yeah. so I'm there strictly for the game. And if you think the Rockies make you drink sometimes, imagine being a person that doesn't drink. 
and how badly that makes you feel. They're they're trying to get you to drink, Skyler. <laughs> yeah, they try to tempt you to drink. <laughs> but no, I, I think we're all in that same thing. We're no, I think we're seeing a lot of even hardcore fans starting to fall away. We're like, what's the point? You know, yeah, it's fun to come to Coors. Wonderful ballpark. You know, the team is can be easy to root for. There's lovable guys on the team. You no, know, their manager, people love Bud Black. But at the end of the day, it is a sporting event, and sports are always more fun and more enjoyable when you're winning. And winning more often than not. And so it's kind of the that middle ground of at what point do you just kind of like become apathetic and stop caring because what's the point? It doesn't seem like they care as much enough to make changes that are needed. And we're just, again, just coasting down the highway, not doing anything. It's rough. And it gets even worse when we see around the league all the other moves that get made where we become the Squidward meme, we're just in the window, and everybody else is just out there carefree as SpongeBob and Patrick. But last thing here, before we move on to kind of close this thing out, any last thoughts before we move on? Or any last words? Nope. I think we <laughs> I think we covered it about as well as we can cover it. And you know, not every episode is going to be like this where... You know, I wouldn't call it dour, but we've all been very realistic, I think, about how we're feeling about this team right now, what the general projection of this team is to the public right now. And it's not positive. And, you know, it's, o- it's okay to be to be frustrated and upset by the things that this team does. I I certainly have been, and I've really had to to try and rein it in because, you know, you can let your emotions get the better of you and it just reflects poorly on you versus it reflecting poorly on on the team or anything else. And, you know, that's something that I've I've tried to work on and I, I encourage others to do the same where, you know, you have guys where on every social media post that the Rockies or, or someone puts out, they put, oh, should Dick Monfort sell the team? Oh, should such and such um, do this? Are the Rockies the worst organization ever? And, and that's not, that doesn't accomplish anything. And maybe it gives you the momentary catharsis. But, and, and it's something that I've learned and, and I'm having to work on, is all it really does is it reflects poorly on on you. And, you know, the team is not out there reading your tweets, reading your Reddit posts and going, oh, uh, Super Rockies fan 2224 said this about us. We have to we have to make this change right now. That That's just not how it works. And it's it is so fantastic that this team does, despite it all, despite everything over the last almost 30 years now, have these pockets of incredibly passionate fans who care so much about this team. And all I can do is say, try not to let the apathy get to you. Because that is that is where we're at with this team right now, is that the way this team is built, it, it, it generates apathy. But at the same time, just try and, and project your your best possible self forward towards 
the team towards other fans, towards the media, towards any any way that you interact with this team. Because it is it is possible and even even positive sometimes to be critical of an organization. But you can't let that get out of hand to the point where you are only projecting poorly on yourself and making other people be upset with you or frustrated at you. That's no way to that's no way to interact with with your team and with its fans. And so that's I suppose I'll get down off my soapbox here. But this is this is just me speaking <laughs> from from personal experience really of try and put your best self forward even while being critical of this team, even while being critical of the front office. That is all you can do and it's the best thing that you can do for yourself the best thing i can do for myself is try and put my best self forward from here on out even if this team frustrates the heck out of me which it does it absolutely does and i think i've made that very clear over this you know hour hour and 15 minutes that we've been talking here but yeah that, that's that's all i've got to say on on this topic just to sort of close it out i suppose here, here. In uh, editing, we'll just put in the uh, the Scrubs recap music of like ba 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 ba. This is good, good stuff. Well, my friends, I think we might just close this one out here. We're running a little bit long. Uh, yeah, let's do so it. So, in our goodbyes, really quickly, where the people can find you. Also, the move that surprised you the most about the trade deadline. That didn't involve the Rockies. Uh, Mac, where can the homies find you? <laughs> yeah, man. So the trade that surprised me the most was Juan Soto going to the Padres. I know it was rumored for a long time, and I was just crazy to see it happen. Blockbuster deal. Also get Josh Bell right away from the Nationals. Padres are terrifying. Hit me up. I just changed my Twitter handle uh, officially. Trying to um, kind of step back from the wrestling thing for a little bit. So I'm at Mac Wilcox CBP. Uh, so hit me up there on Twitter. We can talk about uh, whatever you want to. Really, I'm I'm easy. We can talk about whatever you want. Ev dog. A big one for me was so coming out of nowhere this year is the Baltimore Orioles have actually been pretty good, and they uh, traded their closer Jorge Lopez uh, to mm. the Minnesota Twins, and that was a that was a big surprise for me. The other one was uh, all the nonsense that went down with Eric Hosmer. While the Padres were <laughs> trying to finalize the Juan Soto yeah. deal, yeah, yes, so good, definitely, so funny. That got nuts. Where it was like they're trading Eric Hosmer. Oh wait, the Nationals. Eric Hosmer has a no trade clause for them, and he's refusing to waive it. <laughs> so and now funny. Eric Hosmer is with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, so that, that was all very strange. So funny. Uh, you can find me on my Twitter account at, at Evan underscore Lang two seven. I would love to hear from you. You can also hear from us at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. Catch me most Thursdays with the Thursday Rock Pile at www.purplerow.com and Sunday game recaps and game threads during the regular season. Skyler, how about you? Uh, pretty much the same thing about Juan Soto. I will talk about the move that did the move that didn't happen that surprised me was that the Cubs did not trade Wilson Contreras. Oh, that's a good one. They, 
That was a big surprise. Like he and Ian Happ even thought they were going to get traded. They had the emotional hug in the dugout during their last mm-hmm. you know, home game or whatever, their last moments. And it turns out both of them are sticking around. You know, Happ still has some control, but Contreras is in his his contract year, and they didn't move him, so they're pulling a, a 2021 Rockies and looking for that draft pick. That was very surprising. Uh, but also Shohei Otani will get traded in the offseason. And as for me on the Twitters, you can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Uh, not as busy because I get busy with the owl stuff. Um, but I always try to make some jokes <laughs> on Twitter as I can. So you can always find me there. Uh, and then you can find me on Purple Row with my Sunday rock piles. As always, every Sunday. And then news card articles for us as they happen. So as Evan mentioned, go check out purplerow.com. Always lots of good rock piles from all of our wonderful writers here. And also be sure to check out our homies at the Pebble Report podcast with more news about the minor leagues and recapping on them as well. So that'll do it here for this episode. Thanks for sticking with us through a bit of a long one, uh, but get some stuff off our chests about the Rockies and the trade deadline. Good conversation. And always feel free to, to talk with us. On the Twitter, comment with us and, and let us know how your your thoughts on things and keep the conversation going. But that'll do it here for this episode. We'll see you next time. I'll hit you with it. Farewell! Nice. <laughs>